Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you for another week on the radio. Got some information for you and uh, good news and things that I think you'll like to hear. Let me start with some news of birthdays. This past week on the 15th of January was the 90th birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. He was a civil icon, as most people know. And I don't know what he would have thought of what's going on in the United States if he had been able to be around until he was 90. But we still revere him. His birthday will be a national holiday celebrated on Monday, the 21st of January. The other birthday was on the same day, a fellow by the name of George Foreman. These days, most people know George Foreman as a boxing analyst and widely successful pitchman, not the once fearsome boxer that took on some of the sport's best. The 15th of January was his 70th birthday. Mr. Foreman was born in Texas in 1949 and raised in Houston's Fifth Ward section. In his autobiography, Foreman says that he lived a troubled childhood, taking up boxing while in the Job Corps in California. His prowess in the ring was such that he he made the U.S. boxing team, capturing a gold medal in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. He went pro in 1969, and he quickly showed his punching power using his size to dominate opponent, opponents. Rather, He faced Joe Frazier in 1973. He beat him in a knockout. The following year, he took on Muhammad Ali for the classic rumble in the jungle. Foreman said he would vanquish Ali, but it was not to be. He would lose his title after punching himself out. In 1977, George Foreman retired from boxing, and he tried to embrace his faith and entered the ministry. After his retirement, he became a popular pitchman for his George Foreman Grill and helped revitalize healthy eating lifestyles. He also became a respected boxing analyst for HBO after stepping down to pursue other business endeavors. So those are the people that um, I pay homage to for their birthdays last week. There's more in the African-American community that people should know about. There's a story this past week in the Washington Post, headline, 70 years after miscarriage of justice, Florida pardons four black men accused of rape by a white woman. This is known as the Groveland Four. In one of the courthouses, federal courthouses that I used to try cases in, There's an inscription up over the door that says, justice delayed is justice denied. And this is certainly a case of justice delayed. It was 70 years ago in Groveland, Florida, 
a white teenager named Norma Paget accused four black men of kidnapping and raping her in a car on a dark road. Groveland, Florida is right in the middle of the peninsula. It was a very large orange-growing area. They still grow oranges there, but not as many as they used to. Two of the men involved would eventually be shot by the segregationist sheriff of Lake County and his angry mob, and the other two were wrongfully convicted of their crimes on little evidence. As I said, the case was called the Groveland Four, and their problems inspired a Pulitzer Prize-winning book and has been considered for decades one of Florida's most grave injustices and the epitome of failed rule of law in the Jim Crow South. In 2017, the state of Florida formally apologized for what happened in the summer of 1949 when this alleged rape and kidnap supposedly occurred. On this past Friday, January 11, 2019, the state's clemency board voted to posthumously pardon all four of the men. Their names, Ernest Thomas, Samuel Shepard, Charles Greenley, and Walter Irvin. After hearing testimony from family members of the men and Paget herself, now in her late 80s, the newly inaugurated Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida said the case was a miscarriage of justice and the only appropriate thing was to grant pardons. Quote, I hope this will bring peace to the families and their communities, DeSantis said after the formal vote, which took place after his first cabinet meeting as governor. Now let me tell you a little bit more about this Groveland 4 incident. Within days of Miss Paget's accusations, Shepard, Greenley, and Irvin had been sent to jail, and Thomas was dead. He was shot and killed by an angry mob led by Sheriff Willis V. McCall, who had chased him 200 miles into the panhandle of Florida. Now, McCall was the duly elected sheriff, but he was also the head of the Klan, the Ku Klux Klan, in Lake County, Florida. In Groveland itself, black-owned houses were shot up and burned, sparking chaos so intense that the then-governor of Florida sent in the National Guard. Despite the lack of evidence in the case of rape and kidnap, a jury quickly convicted the three men that were still alive. Mr. Greenlee was just 16 at the time, and he was sent to prison for life. Shepard and Irvin, friends and Army veterans, were sentenced to death, but the U.S. Supreme Court later overturned their convictions and ordered a retrial. However, before that retrial could happen, McCall, the sheriff, shot both of them, and Shepard died at the scene, but Irvin, who played dead, survived, and his sentence was later commuted to life in prison. Now, how did this shooting come about? The sheriff was to take the men from the prison back to Groveland where they would have their new trial. Supposedly, the sheriff's car had a flat tire. He made them get out of the car to help fix the flat tire, and then he shot both of them. As I said, 
Mr. Shepard died at the scene, but Irvin, who played dead, survived, and his sentence was later commuted to life in prison. Carol Greenlee was in her mother's womb when her father was accused of raping Paget. He had been in Lake County. He had been in Lake County of the day of this alleged kidnap and rape, looking for a job as a way to provide for his young family. After his conviction, his wife would bring the infant, Carol, for visits every Sunday. However, after a while, it was too hard to get to the jail or the prison. Carol didn't see her father again until he was paroled in 1962 when she was a preteen. Now, Charles Greenlee did not appeal his conviction, and he spent 12 years in prison. He died in 2012 at the age of 78. Shepard and Irvin, however, did appeal, and although the Florida Supreme Court initially upheld their convictions, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously overturned them. In the second trial, Irvin was represented by future Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, but once again convicted after a speedy deliberation by an all-white jury. They appealed again, but the U.S. Supreme Court denied the case. But the governor at that time also rejected a clemency appeal and scheduled Irvin's execution. However, an emergency stay saved his life, and a newly elected moderate governor commuted Irvin's sentence, sentence to life in prison after commissioning a report on the case. In 2016, the city of Groveland and Lake County apologized to the men and their families. A year later, the state of Florida apologized as well, and now all four of the men have been pardoned by the new governor. But this was certainly justice delayed and justice denied. Seventy years, folks. That's an awful long time. However, most people who live in Florida, not most, but many people who live in Florida know the story of the Groveland Four. I wasn't here at that time, but I had heard about it, and since being here, I've learned much more about it. It's a bad thing. Let's talk about something good. A couple of programs ago, I told you that I went to see the movie Green Book, and I thought it was really very good. Last week, it won a Golden Globes Award as Best Picture of the Year. It's now in contention to get an Academy Award. We will see what happens. It is a good book. It is a good story. It's a good movie. If you like movies, this is a good one. I'd, I'd advise you to go out and see it. Now, that's the information that I want to give you for today. I want you to know that I've been working with AARP. AARP is the American Association of Retired People. And what it does, it tries to come up with information and knowledge that people who are mature, people who are retired or on their way to retirement, might want to know about. As a matter of fact, I... I'm trying to partner with them to get some of their volunteer specialists to come on the air with me to talk about some certain things that uh, mature people should know about. Now, we haven't sealed the deal completely yet, 
but they have sent me some information that you might want to hear about, about older people and homeowner associations. I'm sorry, I had to get that out. You might want to know that homeowner associations, sometimes they're called community associations, have grown. The number of community associations in the United States grew from 10,000 in 1970 to 222,500 in the year 2000 and to 34,500 in 2017. I'm going to tell you more about this because there are some dangers if you are in one of these HOAs, they call them, homeowners associations or community associations, you may end up losing your house. I'll be back with more information about this. Stick with me. This is Birdsong. I have more to tell you. I'm out. Yep, I didn't, I didn't have as much, uh, information as I thought I had. But did you know the story of the Groveland Four? Yeah, well, it was a bad, bad case. The sheriff was the head of the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> he shot and tried to kill the two people who were, he was taken back to courthouse for trial and shot, shot him trying to kill him. But at any rate, they're pardoned now. And I'm, Glad the governor did that. Okay, let me get some water and I will come back and talk more about homeowner associations. Birdsong back with you. Thanks for staying with me. I have some information. Remember, I was talking about homeowner associations, sometimes called community associations. Basically, these are the people that you pay the fee to for where you live. There are more than 345,000 community associations, or CAs, as they're sometimes called, Now, that includes homeowners associations, condo associations, and co-ops. As I said earlier, compared with just 10,000 of these HOAs in 1970, almost one in every four American now belongs to a community association or homeowners association. The homeowners, Owner Association is a volunteer government. Uh, 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 the Community Association or the Home Owners Association is a volunteer governed organization which usually regulates everything from holiday decorations to grass height. They enforce rules and protect residents and their property values. While members have long bridled at CA Restrictions and fees. An industry survey shows that as many as 85% of residents 
are neutral or positive about their association. But homeowners who wind up in conflict with their homeowner association say the organizations have a dark side. They're almost like the old Nazis. In a trend that has grown recently, when homeowners are late paying assessments or fines, their accounts are turned over to law firms. In these cases, legal fees can quickly outpace the size of the original debt. In the worst cases, homes are also lost to foreclosure, sometimes sold at auction for little or more than the outstanding debt. And that's just a shame. Here's a story that goes with this reporting that AARP has sent me. A lady by the name of Leah Lolly was a 15, a 51-year-old homeowner in Tampa, Florida. She learned the hard way that dealing with her homeowner association could escalate into a costly and years-long legal battle. In the year 2015, Ms. Lolly got nearly $700 behind on the $135 a month association fees on her five-room bedroom house. She explained to the association's management that she had faced financial hardship while caring for her sick parents and asked the HOA, that's the Homeowners Association, to work out a payment plan for her. The management company that contracts with her homeowners association told her it would take this issue to the association board. But for two months, she didn't hear anything from the homeowners association board. But after that two months, she got a response from where? A law firm. A law firm saying that a lien had been filed on her home. Now, a lien is a a legal procedure which says that you can't sell the home unless you get rid of this amount of money that's owed to the community to the communities or to the homeowners association. Miss Lolly decided to fight. Now more than 15 years later, Miss Lolly's HOA or Homeowners Association claims she owes now nearly $15,000. Now what's really galling is about 10,000 of that is for attorney's fees, interest and other charges. Miss Lolly says I refuse to bend because it's not right. It's an ongoing Kate course it's an ongoing court case. She says it's cruel that they are aiming to put me out of my home. And I agree with her. Law firms want their money. They do the legal work. They usually don't charge the homeowners association. They just say, we'll take the case, we'll file the lien, we'll do all the legal work, and we'll pass on to the homeowner the bill. As a matter of fact, a fellow by the name of Michael Greenwald of Boca Raton, Florida, is an attorney, and he says that law firms typically charge HOAs no money 
but pass on legal fees to the homeowner. That's an incentive for the firm to escalate charges. A single missed payment can add up to thousands of dollars in a few months, Mr. Greenwald says. As we all know, lawyers are expensive and stakes are high. Many homeowners just pay up, even if they think the charges are unfair. But attorneys who represent homeowners say in many cases, law firms for community associations are more aggressive than the community associations themselves. Here's an example. In 2014, Kay and John Wynn lost their home in Lexington, South Carolina, to foreclosure over a $3,800 homeowners association debt. Their attorney in Columbia, South Carolina, defended their right to keep their home. The judge there vacated the sale. However, the lawyer says some homes are often lost for good. It's insanity is what it is, says this lawyer. Now, Dawn Ballman, a senior vice president of the Community Association Institute, says she thinks that this type of problem is rare. But Ballman says associations have an obligation to collect because assessments fund maintenance and other costs of day-to-day operations. As for turning cases over to attorney or collection agencies, that typically would happen when the resident is just not responding or just will not pay, Miss Bauman says. Attorneys who represent homeowners disagree. They say bills are being passed on to law offices more quickly than ever. In Philadelphia, Jeffrey Greenspan, 64, filed for bankruptcy after running up more than $55,000 in assessments and legal fees in a battle against his condo association. $55,000. In Houston, there is a foreclosure prevention project at what's called the Lone Star Legal Aid Office, and it has filed lawsuits on behalf of 27 older homeowners who are faced with foreclosure from unpaid fees since 2010. In Phoenix, Arizona, an attorney, Jonathan DeSalles, has seen a sharp rise in foreclosures. Seniors are hit hardest. Why? Many of them are on fixed incomes. They can't afford the attorney fees that keep going up and up. So this is what the story is about. What is my advice to you is to certainly do not get behind. Pay those fees, or if you cannot, you may have to move to some place where you do not have such fees. Many seniors want to live in gated communities. They want to live in places that are for 55-year-old people and over. These are the places where they have these HOA fees. But all seniors don't have to do this. There are places where they can move into perhaps apartments or smaller houses where they stand alone. However, I give this information to you because older community association members who fall behind on fees face increasingly harsh treatment. So beware. Remember you heard it from Birdsong. I wouldn't fool you.
Hello, folks. Birdsong back with you again. Thank you for staying with me. I've given you some information already about homeowners associations and how seniors often fall behind on fees and face harsh treatment from their homeowner associations because they turn the cases over to lawyers who charge fees. But right now, let's turn our attention to some dumb criminal law stories. These are some stories I worked on in August of 2018. The first story today comes from Arizona. The headline reads, Party Pooper Indeed. A man stormed into a high school dance and waved a gun in the air because he was mad at the music being played was too loud. Robert Layton allegedly drove to the parking lot of the Thatcher High School, grabbed Principal Jeffrey Lords by the shirt, and whipped out a 9mm handgun. The hot-headed party pooper then ripped speaker wires out from an electrical socket near the DJ booth. However, he was soon tossed in jail, according to police who had been called by the students. Party pooper indeed. <laughs> A story from Australia now. The headline is simple. It says, High Heels. We learned that a nun gave new meaning to the term high heels when she allegedly smuggled two pounds of cocaine into Australia in her shoes. Her name, Denise Woodrum. She's 51. She worked at the Kansas-based Adorers of the Blood of Christ Institute, and she hid the cocaine in the heels of her pumps, according to authorities who arrested her at the Sydney airport. Now, why would a nun do this? Sister Denise claims a man she fell in love with online asked her to transport the drug, and she did. High heels. <laughs> Sad case. However, I had a case in private practice, same sort of thing when there was a Nigerian smuggling ring. Got a young lady interested. She fell in love. And she was asked to take a suitcase back to the United States. Of course, when she got there, there was cocaine in it. She was sent to jail. I represented her. I helped her out. She didn't have to do any jail time, but she's not going back to Nigeria. Let's move on. Canada. Headline, Bad Bet. It's been reported that a real boozer recently drove from a bar to the local police station and requested a breathalyzer test to win a bet with his buddies by proving he was not drunk. He was, though and police charged him with driving while impaired. <laughs> That's pretty good. This next one is even better. It comes from China. The headline, Crabs in His Pants. We learn that a bandit swiped five live crabs from a restaurant by shoving them down his pants. The 58-year-old man allegedly slipped into the resident in Fujian province. He told police they looked pretty, and he wanted them as pets. What a creep. Five live lobsters in his pants. Crabs in his pants. <laughs> a story now from Dubai. The headline, Zoom Zoom. A rental company got taken for a ride by a British tourist when he racked up $47,600 in speeding tickets in a single day. 
and then disappeared without paying them. Traffic cameras caught him zooming up to 150 miles per hour in a luxury Lamborghini Hurricane vehicle. Zoom, zoom. Now we go to Florida. You know, there are some great dumb criminal law stories that come out of Florida. Here's the first one. The headline says, Smuggling Birds to Being Jailbirds. Three men were sent to jail for trapping more than 400 songbirds and selling them on the black market overseas. They used solar-powered bird callers to catch the colorful creatures in the Everglades. The bird nappers were caught and were sentenced to between 6 and 15 months in jail each. Smuggling birds to being jail birds. <laughs> Another story from Florida. The headline is simple. It says, Moo. Police report that these cows were not taking any bull from an alleged SUV in the town of Sanford in August of 2018. The cows spotted a woman upsetting their bovine evening by running across their pasture with lawmen in hot pursuit, authorities said. The cows started hoofing it and cornered the cows started hoofing it and cornered the suspect at a fence. The sheriff's office posted a video of the amazing chase and said, quote, a group of cows provided law enforcement with a big assist. Moo. <laughs> Another story from Florida. The headline Worst Intruder I'm sorry, Worst Intruder Ever. A woman returned to her home in Myrtle Beach and found a bandit in her living room chowing down on a corn dog he had taken from a refrigerator. The munchie-stricken bandit told the 30-year-old homeowner he was hungry, then sped away on her bicycle. No arrest has been made. Next story comes from Illinois. The headline read, Unicorn Danger? It's been reported that sheriff's deputies grabbed a problem by the horn in August 2018 when they rescued four women stranded on an inflatable unicorn. The women were trapped on Fish Lake after their rainbow-colored ride got caught in the reeds. Chisago County officers tossed them a rope from a dock. They were saved. Thank heavens. Here's an interesting story from India. The headline, Harry Heist. Three thieves posing as customers walked into a workshop in India and looted 5,000 pounds of wigs and raw hair. Quote, people think wigs are cheap, but they cost a fortune to make, end quote, said New Delhi, New Delhi wig maker Jahangar Hussein. After the robbery, as a matter of fact, it was an armed robbery, 5,000 pounds of wigs and raw hair. I learned recently that Indian women do sell their hair, and they sell a lot of it to the United States for women to have longer hair. We go from India to Indiana. The headline is just one word, oink, <laughs> oink. We recently learned that an adorable pet pig fo foiled a burglary by striking fear in the hearts of the intruders, according to the police. 
The bandits had just smashed their way through the back door of a home when they were surprised by the what? The guard hog named Dumplin'. The thieves were probably like, we don't want to deal with this, the homeowner said. The bandits fled empty-handed. <laughs> Dumb criminal law stories, they never go away, folks. They never go away. If you want to read more of my dumb criminal law stories, you can go to my blog, birdsongslaw.com, B-I-R-D-S-O-N-G-S-L-A-W.com, birdsongslaw.com. I'm on the Internet. How about some riddles? I got three of them for you. First one, why did the boy sit on a clock? Why did the boy sit on a clock? Now, that's pretty easy. Think about it. Second riddle. What is the worst kind of bed to sleep in? What is the worst kind of bed to sleep in? The last riddle. Milking stools only have three legs. Why? Milking stools only have three legs. Why? I'll come back at the end of the show, and I'll give you the answers if you haven't figured them out. This is Birdsong, having a little fun and giving you some information here on the radio. I'll be back. Stick with me. There's more. folks, this is Birdsong back with you again. Glad you're still there, still listening. There's more to come. You know I like Paul Harvey. His latest book or his last book is called Paul Harvey's For What It's Worth. It's filled with stories that have been sent to him from people around the country. I have two very short ones I want you to contemplate. Paul Harvey reports that, for what it's worth, information from the firemen want new helmets in Fairfax County, Virginia. Why is that? The helmets they have now are colorful, high-impact plastic, adjustable to size and resistant to scuffing. There's just one thing. Near heat, they melt. Yep, they melt. The second Paul Harvey story comes from Utica, New York. Paul Harvey writes, Burglars in suburban Marcy were carrying the TV set from the house down the driveway when the next-door neighbor called out, Hey, are you going to fix her television set? And the burglars called back, Yes. And the neighbor then asked, Mine needs fixing. Could you take that one, too? The burglar said, we'd be glad to. And they did. (laughs) Excuse me. All right, what about these riddles? 
They're easy. Have you figured them out? First one, why did the boy sit on a clock? Why did the boy sit on a clock? Well, he wanted to be on time, of course. What is the worst kind of bed to sleep in is our second riddle. What is the worst kind of bed to sleep in? I'll tell you. It's a river bed. Don't sleep in a river bed. Very messy. Finally, milking stools only have three legs. Why is that? Milking stools only have three legs. Why is that? It's because the cow has the udder. <laughs> Cute, huh? All right, well, I've had a little fun today. I've depart- imparted a little information. Now, this is my thought of the week. Give the people hope. A reporter asked Prime Minister Winston Churchill, who led Britain during the dark moments of the Second World War, what was the greatest weapon his country possessed against the Nazi, the Nazi regime of Hitler? Without pausing for even a moment, Churchill said, quote, it was what England's greatest weapon has always been, hope, end quote. Hope is an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events and circumstances in one's life or in the world at large. Hope is one of the most powerful and energizing words in the English language. It's something that gives us power to keep going in the toughest of times, and its power energizes us with excitement and anticipation as we look toward the future. The strength of hope is only limited by the strength of a person's desire. Why don't you encourage someone this week? Give them the hope they need to see a path to their goals. This is Birdsong. I love being with you. I hope you come back next week.